Would you open your Bibles to the book of Revelation? We're actually going to be in Revelation 8, 9, 10, and 11, but not all of it at once. We're going to kind of do a flyover of it today. So, and our Joel, our youth pastor. What's up, guys? Right? Respect for Joel. Doing a great job Respect with our youth ministry. Yeah. Everyone's reading. Here today. And he's, he's, he can read, so. Apparently. All right, let's, let's read God's word. Revelation 8 starts and says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent from their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. The seventh angels, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and our Messiah, and of our Lord and of His Messiah, and He will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, "We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the One who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come." The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the, the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumbling, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. That is God's word. Thank you, Joel. God, would you give us insight into your word today? We pray that your, your word would just be the light that you promised it would be. This is not an academic exercise that we are doing here today. It is a Holy Spirit encounter with the living and the real God. And we pray that that is the experience for everyone in here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys are thinking, man, I came on Wrath of God Day. I should have gone to the beach. I totally missed that one. I think that you think that because you don't maybe have a full understanding of anger or wrath. Maybe, maybe not. If someone walked in here and threatened my family, my children, how do you suppose I would feel about that? Not good. I mean, I had an experience in an uh, unnamed uh, developing nation where a uh, young man came and uh, placed his hands upon my daughter. And it went very poorly for him. <laughs> right, Connor? You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, there was definitely a moment of him against a wall, my hand on his throat, 
telling him, you know just enough English to understand what I'm about to tell you. And I know just enough Spanish to be very clear. Uh, and he did not touch my daughter again. But that, that happened in me because he was punching out against somebody that I loved, right? Now, had he have done that to someone else, to Connor, for instance, like I, we might have wrestled them down or whatever, but it would, have, it would have come from a different place in my heart than that. And when you think about wrath that way, that it's actually not uh, separated from love, it is not mutually exclusive from love, I would suggest to you that anger and love are actually inseparable. They're, they're a part of the same experience of loving. And I'm going to show you that in just these passages that we have. We're not going to spend uh, uh, every Sunday for the next six weeks going in depth into the great tribulation period. It, you know, it could get a little exhausting. We are going to do that in the Deeper con uh, podcast. So if you're not subscribed to Deeper, just find Conduit Church anywhere you get your podcast and you can listen. We will talk about that. In fact, I've got Jason. Where's Are you in here, Jason? He's not near. There he is back there. Jason, uh, we're going down the rabbit hole with Jason this week. If you've ever wanted to hear some hilarious uh, stories and deep, like Jason's got them, so the enthusiasm is going to be high on the podcast this week. But for the next few minutes, we're literally going to do a flyover of 8, 9, 10, and 11, which is the wrath of God, the answer to the prayer, how long, O Lord, before you bring justice from the uh, martyrs of Revelation 6 in verse 10. And we're going to cover the question of what is the wrath of God? Like, why is he angry? And what does it mean for us? So let's do that. Like, the question, like, what is the wrath of God? That's a, that's a legitimate question. When you look at chapter 8, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, he starts unpacking it by just saying, hey, another angel... Uh, this prayer had been offered up by the saints of Revelation 6.10. How long? These were martyrs that had been tortured and beaten and murdered. And he says uh, the prayers that they had prayed, he was given much incense to offer, verse 3, with the prayers of all of God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. You see that? The prayer of the people. God saw what was happening. This is not, this didn't happen in a vacuum. So these prayers that have been prayed by every martyr that has ever been, they're all going to be answered in this moment. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, hurled it on the earth. There came peals of thunder and rumblings, flashings of lightning and an earthquake because God is about to answer their question. How long, O oh Lord? Now, maybe it would be helpful if we start with the idea of what is anger, like uh, just a, a working definition, uh, I must first ask this question. Is anyone's name in here Karen? <laughs> Be honest with me. Just shoot me real straight. Because I'm here to apologize on behalf of all of society uh, and what we have done to people named Karen. I have met a lovely Karen. Every Karen I've ever met has been nothing but lovely. But... <laughs> But on the internet, Karen has become right synonymous with people just losing their stuff and, and losing their minds, right? And so um, if that is wrath to you, okay, if that's when, when you say wrath, you think God is being a Karen, I would like to suggest to you that you don't understand what anger is. 
I'm going to read to you something from um, Chip Dodd. Does anybody know who Chip Dodd is, Voice of the Heart, some of us in here? Amazing work. He rung me out like a chamois uh, in like intensive work. Like he's like, oh, I haven't got enough of Darren's crying out, so we're going to ring more of him out. But, but he talks about anger and rage and differentiates between the two. Karen is rage, okay? And he says rage is a deeply impaired experience of fear, a fear that a person cannot and or will not tolerate. Rage is a closed fist to ward off or destroy something or someone to eradicate vulnerability. Do you understand that that rage is not anger, it's fear. God is not afraid. His anger is not rage, uncontrolled rage. Chip would go on to say this, that anger, because it talks about eradicating vulnerability, that's what he's saying. That's when you're afraid, what you're raging is, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to be hurt, so I'm going to rage, and now I'm taking control of the situation by making you all afraid of me. But anger exposes us to vulnerability. This is the vulnerability they're trying to avoid because it shows us, it shows the world, the internal caring one has for something or someone. Anger is an open hand, right? Not a closed fist, but an open hand that reaches to create something, even though it exposes us to vulnerability and minimal control of the outside world. Listen to this. Anger takes a stand, but rage does not allow any stand. The difference, if I might be so bold, between Martin Luther King Jr. and what's happening in Portland and Seattle is the difference between anger and rage. Martin Luther King, in his nonviolent protests, was, that was anger, and it was pure, and it was righteous. Burning everything down and destroying things with a closed fist is not anger, it's rage. It is not from anger, it is from fear. Does this make sense? So I want to go a step further with that, because anger is actually not an unhealthy thing. Maybe most of you guys were told to pipe down, don't be angry, don't, you know, when you're little, and because we think of anger as actually an enemy to be overcome, not a tool that God has given us to deal with life on life's terms. Genesis 3 world, there are things that are wrong, and they're going to make you angry, and they should. But he says this, that when you feel that anger, anger will ignite a passion inside of you to be willing to be in pain for something worth more than the pain. This is what I experience to be love. Without anger, we cannot love ourselves or any other human. It is painful to love and be loved, and it's worth the pain. So anger and love are not mutually exclusive ideas. They're the same. And in that, in that love itself, that anger expresses this vulnerability about what I care for, who I love. You see, if you were to insult my wife, uh, it, the anger that is going to come from that is because I love her. When you are angry for something, it's vulnerable because I'm telling the world who and what I love and care about. So if I were to give a working definition of anger of God, I would say that it is the wrath of God reveals who God loves and what he cares about. It is the vulnerability of God. 
God being vulnerable enough to say that this is what I care about. This is who I love and putting it all out there for us. Now to that end, it's probably good for us to know about the active and the passive wrath of God. Has anybody, anybody heard those phrases before? Okay. Uh, passive wrath of God. How many of you guys are parenting adult children right now? Can I just get a hand of solidarity here? Right, Valerie, you know, like they did not, they did not cover any of this, right, Holly, in the what to expect when you're expecting book? Because what do you know about adult children? They're going to do whatever the heck they want to do. And what are you going to do? Stop them? The passive wrath of dad says to my kids, look, what you're about to do is really stupid. In fact, I used to tell my children when raising in one of my jobs is you're going to have a lot of good ideas in life. My job is to help you figure out which are the good ones and which are the bad ones. That's pretty much parenting summed up in a nutshell. Jumping off of that, that's a bad idea. Like the, the couch, you're going to, you know, Ethan, he does. He jumps off and like has stitches happening. He's literally, his lip is hanging off like he's in the Civil War. But when he's like two years, because he didn't listen. He just did what he wanted to do. But passive wrath was, well, let him do it, you know. The passive wrath of God goes deeper than that, though, when you're adult children, because sometimes you're going to get into an adult situation with a loved one where they're making decisions that are harming everyone around them. Drugs and addiction is one of those things. We, we do an extensive amount of work with Place of Hope in Columbia, Tennessee. And what we see there, eventually by the time they get there, is most of them have had to be cut off by a family member. Eventually, grandma is out of jewelry to steal right? Eventually, mom and dad have loaned all the money. Eventually, they have caused too much destruction. And an act of love is to say to that person, I have to cut you off for the protection of those that I love. Not punitive to them, but in an attempt to say that I want you to go out there and to find out what you're not going to get in the hope that you will come back someday. When you hear the phrase, have you ever heard the phrase that Paul uses to turn somebody over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh that their soul might be saved? Has anybody heard that phrase? Isn't that a weird thing to say? It is unless you've been around somebody that will not make changes. And what that means is I'm saying you're going to have to come to the end of yourself. And to, to turn them over is simply meaning it's just Henry Cloud 101. It's just boundaries. And the hope is that they'll come to the end of all the bad decisions and all the hurt and all the, and like the prodigal son and the pigs die, will eventually come home to the loving parent. That, that is the passive wrath of a parent. And the passive wrath of God is Romans 1. Romans 1.18, you're going to go make some stupid decisions and you're going to go in, you're under the wrath of God with that. And then uh, verses 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, it says, and then I turned them over. And then he had to turn them over. The passive wrath of God is turning them over to those bad decisions. Because as Jeremiah 2 verse 5 said, they are their own backsliding, he said to Israel, your own backsliding will punish you. It will hunt you down. Not punitive, but it's saying, look, I, you want this, this prayer? Here's the answer, and this is how it's going to turn out. And just like a good, loving father, he is waiting for you to come home to him. And then there is what's called the active wrath of God. The active wrath of God. Someone walking into my home wanting to harm my children. And the active wrath of Darren is going to make your head into a canoe. It's my children. 
And maybe, I don't know, there's the whole turn the other cheeks thing, but man, God's working on so much in me right now, he hasn't even gotten to that yet. Like maybe, you know what I'm saying? But, but the active wrath of Darren says, that's not going to happen on my watch with my children because I care about them. But the active wrath is what we are seeing here in chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. The active wrath of God saying, I'm here and I'm going to change this and all these things that you guys have been raging against, we're about to make it new again. Remember, active wrath, right, is to passion to change things. And at the end of this, what Joel read this morning is a new heaven, a new earth. He's talking about the kingdoms of this world are now the kingdoms of our Lord. That's what he's doing here. He's coming to do a giant reset of this earth. It is not just a scorched earth policy. It is a rebuilding, a recreation of the way that it was meant to be. The question, why is he angry? So that is the wrath, right? The vulnerability of God showing what he cares for, who he loves, and why is he angry? If you turn one page over to chapter 9, verse 20, 21, you see why. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands. These, look, there's, gonna, there's an angel flying through the atmosphere preaching the gospel. That's what this passage tells us. 144,000 people, Jewish Billy Grahams, preaching the gospel, right? He is begging them to come to him. These are here are ones that are saying, look, while I appreciate an angel in the atmosphere, I still want my will to be done. I still want my life to be the way it is, raging against. Now, why is that a big deal? Like, can't, why can't they just have it their way? Why can't we all just do our own thing? It says that they did not stop worshiping demons, idols uh, of gold, silver, bronze, stone, woods. And you might think, well, at least we're not doing that. Literally, one-third to one-half of the world still lives actively in idol worship, gold, wood, bronze idols. Idols they can't see, hear, or walk. Neither did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. These are people that are saying, Jesus, I'm not coming to you. I want it my way, and I'm going to hold on to my idols. How many of you have traveled globally, specifically to Asia? Anyone? Yeah, a few of us in here, right? What you see in these idols and in these shrines, yeah, you guys lived in Sri Lanka, right? Did you? Yeah. So you see in these shrines these little golden things, and they don't represent much, but what they do represent is a way of life, which is of fear, of control, of manipulation. In Haiti, where I spent uh, a lot of my life, those voodoo priests, man, when they come into, has anybody been to Haiti? A few of you guys have, haven't you? Yeah. When you go there, those voodoo priests are using the little statues, the little idols, to bring fear and terror and manipulation so that a single mom who should be using her chicken to feed her children instead is giving it to a voodoo priest who swears I'm going to get rid of the curse for you. Do you see why that's harmful to society? Why that would make God angry that worshiping idols isn't just putting a little bathtub Mary in your front lawn in Rhode Island. It is stealing and killing. And what are these things we're seeing right here? Talks about murders. They, they refuse to give up their murders. Now remember, if God's bringing a new kingdom to earth, right? In Revelation uh, 11, we see that. Can these folks exist in a kingdom like that? 
If you refuse to come to Christ and to repent and to say, no, I want to live the way that you've designed me to live, you can't have murderers and thieves in a kingdom like that. So he's giving him infinite choices. And when they choose not to, they can't come into the kingdom that he's going to build here, the, the Eden that he is going to restore. Murders, we live in a country, we, it's easy to point fingers at China, at Russia, and forget that, what is it, 60 million babies that have been aborted in our country since 1970? murders. Can you see why God might be angry? We're destroying his creation. We're destroying his people. We're murdering them. We're stealing the magic arts. That's not David Blaine, by the way. David Blaine is, well, actually, he might be. Am I right? You know, there are moments where you're watching David Blaine thinking he actually might be demonic. Like I, for the most part, like I don't see that with anybody, but when he starts like pulling stuff out of his stomach, I'm like, I don't know how, yeah, out of your mouth. I don't know how you do that. But anyway, point is that's actually not what it's talking about. That word magic arts is the word pharmakia where we get our word pharmacy from. Okay. Now think with me on this one. I want you to put this in your pipe, smoke it for just a little bit and listen to what this is. Is it just the use of illegal drugs and the narco trade and the murders that are happening in Mexico? Probably, all of that. But we live in a world right now where big pharmaceutical companies are jacking up prices of insulin to where people can't afford it. That happened in our country. But let me take this a step further. Did you know, just this year alone, 800,000 children are going to die worldwide from diarrhea, okay? Now, in our country, we have little funny songs we have little funny jokes, and they're going to die of diarrhea because they don't have Imodium or they don't have Pepto. They don't have stuff that you and I have in abundance in there. We could say that. We could go a step further and say 1.8 million children this year are going to die from malaria. All that talk about hydroxychloroquine and whether it works for COVID or not, here's what we do know it works for, malaria. Our country has spent $6 trillion to fight against a virus, we could bury a country in Imodium for that kind of money. We could bury them in hydroxychloroquine for that money, but we are not because, that's third service, I can say this, because, because the legacy media companies that say they care about human lives do not. Because if they did, that would be on the front page of every story, but they don't. If you want to talk about privilege, this is American privilege. This is Western privilege. I don't have to look at this, so I don't have to deal with it. But those of you that have traveled with us to other countries, you know this is a real life thing. It's happening every day. Can you understand why God might be angry? Can you understand why... He's looking at our world and saying, you know what, we're going to have to hit a restart on this. And by the way, for all of us that are feeling like, well, at least that's not me. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. How many of you have an iPhone in your hand? All you uh, Android people are like, you're the ones that turn our screens green when we're trying to type to you. But um, <laughs> Shame, shame. No. Have you ever heard of something called conflict minerals? The minerals used to create 
every piece of technology sitting on my table right here were created, taken from, stolen from, mined by slave children in West Africa. It's just true. And by the way, so Apple, their decision, well, here's how we'll fix that. We'll, we'll file papers with the federal government and our papers will say, we're going to try really hard not to do that. That's their answer. Now, before I bust their chops too much or bust any of our chops and make us all go throw away all of our technology and start churning butter and dressing up like Amish people. I don't know, I like butter, man. The Amish might have something going on with that, but... We're in a Genesis 3 world, okay? None of us are exempt from this. None of us. He has to come reset this. There is no such thing. It's why when we try to solve the problem of COVID-19 with a very myopic approach, we are killing 30 million children of starvation because of our approach here because we can't do both at the same time. We are limited. Our control is very limited. And in the arrogance of Western culture, we've decided that, well, our way is the best way. And you know what? Indians be damned. Pakistanis be damned because we're going to fix it our way here. Now, is there other ways to I don't know. I'm just saying that the way that they've decided to do it is going to kill 30 million children of starvation. Of course he's angry. Could you not see why he might be a little angry? That we're destroying the people he loves, the earth that he created. Didn't you read that when Joel said that in uh, Revelation 11? It says, for destroying the earth. We make this all about climate change and all of a sudden that becomes a political thing, right or a left wing. But God says, you are destroying my planet and that kind of ticks me off. You've created, I love this and you're destroying it. Of course he's angry. Now, that said, are we just all monumentally, cosmically screwed? Or is there grace even in this? Because what did we learn from Chip Dodd? <laughs> that passion, when you're angry about something, passion moves you to do something to change it, to, to, to do something better, to do it. When I started this church, my friend Jeff Schulte, did I say this already? Because I've been in two services, and it feels like I already said this. Okay, no, okay. You ever do that, Tim, when you do multiple service thing? Did I just say this? No. <laughs> Jeff Schulte, in a counseling therapy session with me a while back, said, Darren, you are the angriest person I've ever met. <laughs> and I want you to know I was genuinely surprised. Because, I mean, Joel, I mean, like the, I'm, I'm the nicest guy I know. <laughs> right? But here's what he said. Darren, you don't understand anger. You don't start a church like you started unless you're angry about something. You don't give away, I don't know how much we've given away at this point, five, six million dollars to build orphanages and clinics and free slaves. You don't do that unless you're angry about something. And that anger and that passion caused me to quit my job, sell my company, do the dumbest thing I've ever done, start a church in Nashville. Seriously, that's dumb. Right? There's churches everywhere, and I'm going to be the guy? <laughs> but I was angry, and I didn't even know it. And I was angry because I was a guy who was abandoned as a child. 
I was a guy who was on my own as a kid. If I was going to get done, I was going to have to get it done myself. And I was looking around at the churches that I had been around, and this is not an indictment against church in general. Please do not hear me say that. But there were things that I saw in church that I just didn't like, and it just kind of ticked me off. And so we did this because it was worth the pain and the risk. Now put that on Jesus himself. Because what do we see here in, in the, at the end of this last, uh, my, my battery's about to die, on this last point of what does it mean, how does it relate to you, chapter 11, verses 15, 16, 17, what we see is that Jesus, right, the 24 elders, he, the, he's gonna reign forever and ever. The kingdoms of our uh, world have become the kingdoms of our Lord it says the 18, the verses of the nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead, but listen, and for rewarding your servants and prophets and your people who revere your name. That's gonna happen both great and small and of course for destroying those who are destroying the planet. This is God coming to change it into the way it's meant to be, but the way that we become those who are uh, revering his name, so to speak, for those who are being rewarded as part of who he is. What do we call the, the, the Easter play? Uh, Mel Gibson made a movie, The Passion of the Christ. We say that Jesus loved us, for God so loved the world. Absolutely he did. But it was passion that t- drove him to the cross he was angry at what was happening in heaven and on earth, actually. He became one of us. He was angry because just like I was looking at seeing children left on their own, it made me angry. When he became one of us, right, he was tempted as we are tempted. He's, he saw that, and now he knows, and now he's angry in a way. And let me tell you this, he is not angry at you. He is angry for you. That what drove him to the cross was the anger at what sin and death would do to you. And it made him so angry that in the words of Chip Dodd that he was willing to put up with whatever pain and suffering that it took because he knew that it would give something better. It would give you. When you go to Israel, now you don't see it, but in the, in the olden days of Israel with the temple, a trumpet would sound twice a day once in the morning and once in the evening. What is this chapter 8, 9, 10, 11 about? Trumpets of judgment, right? But those trumpets that sounded in the temple would signal this, signal this you know, the, the shofar, it signaled that it was time for the burning of a lamb. These trumpets signaling the time for the burning of a lamb. Chapter 8, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, fire is coming to earth, the fire is burning, and it's either going to burn the lamb or it's going to burn you, and you get to make the choice. He became the lamb. That's why it's so fascinating, the the wrath of the lamb. Have you ever been around a lamb? They're not angry creatures. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not the, 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 the wrath of the lamb, it's the wrath on the lamb, the wrath that came on the lamb And because he took that wrath, you don't feel it anymore. You're going to be, those of us who are in Christ are safe and secure inside of him. He's coming to restart the whole 
thing. The way it was meant to be in Eden is the way it will be again. For every child that's been treated unfairly, for every martyr that has died unjustly, for every crime, it's all going to be dealt with perfectly and perfect justice will bring perfect peace. And it happened because Jesus was so passionate, so angry for you that he would die instead of you so that you could live next to him. Do you see how anger and love are so inseparable? Jesus isn't just some cosmic Karen. He is vulnerable because he loves you that much. He's willing to take that risk. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Well, let's get you out of here. Let's pray. Stand to your feet. I pray that you, by the way, will allow that what did it say in chapter four or five somewhere? Like the blood of the lamb paid for your sins. Would you allow him to do that? It's not any work. You'll see in this whole thing, there's no work that you got to do. It's work that he did. And if you'll just receive and believe and accept that work, right, then that fire that comes will not burn you. And he doesn't want you to. I mean, he's literally, he is just wooing you. He's, it's his will that nobody would perish. But it's also his will that you have your own choice. We talked about with raising adult children, right? I, be careful what you wish for. If you had a robot, that sounds like a lot of fun, but they don't love you. If my kid only did and said everything I want him to do and say, you know who my kid is? Me. God gave us free will because free will is where love is born out of. Love is the supreme ethic of the universe and it requires a choice. So he's giving you that choice today and I pray you make the right one. Heavenly Father, would you give us wisdom in that and insight and thank you so much Lord for for being angry for us angry enough that you would do that and Lord I pray that inside of us that whatever anger we're feeling at whatever injustice that we're experiencing that we'll do something we'll be moved to action moved to make decisions and changes and choices we don't have to wait for you to do that. We can start right now. I pray, Lord, that as we leave here today, that we're just reminded of your love and your goodness and your mercy and your kindness and that you love us so much that you are not going to let this world destroy us. That's such a gift for us. Thank you for that. Father, I do pray right now, too, for our families, 14 families right now in the process of being released and rescued in Southeast Asia. I pray, Lord, that those all go smoothly, that there's no drama in that, and that your name is being glorified right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Guys, God bless you. Happy Labor Day. It's a Labor Day, right? (laughs) 